This is The Blunt Doctor Show. On a Monday, on a fantastically awesome, incredible Monday, after a weekend of basketball that really could only be described as divine, I don't even know another word that might appropriately describe what we saw this weekend. It was it was fantastic, it was phenomenal, it was spectacular. We saw so much incredible basketball this weekend, it could barely be believed. Um, and we finally have our conference finals set. We've got one conference finals game in the books between the Suns and Clippers. We obviously will talk about that as Devin Booker put on, again, what can only be described as a masterful performance. I'm going to have to really break out the superlatives in this episode. But um, wow, man, what a time to be a basketball fan. And specifically, what a time to be a Suns fan. Because here's the thing. For the last decade... At this time of year, well, maybe not specifically this time of year because the NBA calendar's all off, but nonetheless, at this point in the season, whenever that time may be, as we are approaching the draft lottery, my team is basically always out of it. And so any hopes that I might have of the Suns doing something special in you know the playoffs or whatever are basically always dashed. And so I'm always reduced to hoping for what may occur in the draft lottery. You know, what... Could we get the number one pick? Could we get the number two pick? Could we get the top five pick? You know, and I don't give a shit about that this year. I don't fucking care at all. It it means absolutely nothing to me. It's fucking spectacular. It is fucking spectacular. I could not care less about the NBA draft lottery. I don't have to sit here and give a shit and pretend and think about the future. I am literally watching my team kick ass in the Western Conference Finals. And yeah, I don't care if it's one game, and I don't care if it was an incredibly close game at the end that the Clippers did a great job of tying up. Devin Booker kicked ass yesterday. And it was a fucking special thing to watch. Something that... I'm going to remember that game for my entire life. I wish I could have been there. But nonetheless, watching it at home with friends and family was an incredible special thing as well. You get to see every single detail up close. You get to watch all the plays as they unfold from that really nice side camera angle. It was an incredible, incredible, incredible day. And that was only one of the good games that we got yesterday. This was just an insanely good weekend for basketball. There's just no other way to put it. Let's just, let's dive in and start with Suns Clippers um, because that is the series that we already have one game from. And, you know, I think that yesterday lived up to pretty much everything that anyone could have asked for. You know, this was an incredible game. And obviously there was some, you know, folks thought it would be marred by, you know, you've got no Chris Paul, you've got no Kawhi Leonard. You definitely don't have Kawhi Leonard for game two. You probably won't have Chris Paul for game two. Um, So the earliest you'll probably see both of them is game three. Um, You know, who knows? But um, this game still delivered in every single way, especially in the third quarter when you literally had Paul George and Devin Booker just like going bucket for bucket. And Paul George, you know, hits a sidestep triple on, um, you know, from the corner. And then Devin Book hits a couple of, you know, mid-rangers where he's completely draped with, you know, multiple guys. And then, uh, you know, Paul George comes off a pick and roll and bags another triple on the wing. And then Booker hits a pull-up triple in transition. And then Reggie Jackson hits a couple of triples on the wing off the same pick and roll action. It's just like, it's just, it was... It was a ridiculous, it was a ridiculous game. Like, there were just so many insane shots. Kennard was hitting triples. Terrence Mann got in on the action a little bit. Um, You know, Batum hit some shots. And the Clippers just did show why they were, you know, one of the best, if not the best, three-point shooting team of all time this season. Like, we do need to give credit where credit is due. The Clippers made a ton of absolutely ridiculous shots, some of which they had no business making. But that has also been what they did all year. So... I was of the belief, essentially, that the Clippers would run into what the Bucks have run into the last few years. That, you know, we're hey, we can make the most threes, and over a series, we're just going to make more threes than you, and that's going to result in us winning. Well, that hasn't worked for the Bucks to the point that they really had to change up what they were doing in this offseason, you know, to eventually get by the Nets, which we also want to talk about that Game 7 as well, which was an incredible game. Um, but the Bucks had to change up what they were doing, and... You know, I thought that the Clippers would essentially go through the same thing. I thought that with the Clippers, it was essentially going to be, you know, oh, hey, 
um, we need to just, you know, we're going to keep bombing away from three, keep bombing away from three, and eventually, like, water finds its level, you have a couple of bad games, you can't hit your shots, and, you know, you get beat by a team that has a more complex or at least more varied offensive system, and that's really what happened to the Bucks in the last few years, and I just kind of expected the same thing to happen to the Clippers, and in game one, that is not what happened. Their offense completely held up, it's just that Devin Booker simply would not let the Suns lose. This game was a fucking Michael Jordan, you know, Kobe Bryant, whatever, you know, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, whatever you want to call it. This was a classic game of a situation where a guy would just not let his team lose. When it was a two-point game at the end, because the Clippers were getting really close, they'd hit a couple of triples. Booker slipped away when the Clippers were trying to foul him and dunked. Then grabbed the rebound at the other end to seal the game. Devin Booker was not going to be denied. This was an all-time performance. His first ever triple-double comes in Western Conference Finals game one of his first Western Conference Finals. Like, you couldn't write better stuff. You really couldn't. Like, if I sat down and tried to write a sports movie that was better than what the Suns are going through this season, I literally couldn't do it. Think about this for a moment. This is a team that was once great but never reached greatness that then fell because a new owner took away everything that made them great, ruined the special sauce and just left the team toiling in obscurity for a decade. And then the beleaguered ex general manager who is now gone, but he made one good choice and he got Devin Booker. He did make that choice. That's the only choice that he made. You know, giving Ryan McDonough credit for DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges is flat out wrong. It's not correct. It's not how those things happened. But he did pick Devin Booker. So there's like a diamond in the rough. But even with this megastar diamond in the rough, you can't figure it out. And then there's this catastrophe in the world. There's a pandemic. People are dying. So they create this special basketball tournament, right? They create this special basketball tournament and only certain teams are allowed. And our protagonist team is the last team allowed. And some teams don't want them in. No, 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 because they're not good enough. But they go 8-0 and they find a way through to lose at the very last second when Karis LeVert misses a 22-foot jumper against the Blazers. <laughs> and then in Act 3... <laughs> Chris Paul shows up and changes the game. And now they win the championship, maybe. At least in the movie, they win the championship. But the point is, you hear all of that. That literally sounds like a fucking film or a TV show. It doesn't sound like reality. But that is literally what we have been going through forever as Suns fans. We have been living through this Hollywood nightmare of a life as Suns fans. Like, it has been a disastrous time to be a Suns fan. It has sucked. We were once, like, one of the highest winning percentage regular season teams ever. Like, we were at the top. And I know that that doesn't matter in terms of, you know, winning championships. But it means the team was competitive every year. It meant that no one was like, oh, we're going to play the Suns. They're a joke. And then we went through a decade of literally being a joke, a punchline. Literally the worst team in the league for 10 years to the point that I was just like, like, should we even like, why do we go to games? Why do we watch the team? Sarver doesn't care. He's not gonna like we, we you almost have to boycott the team until Sarver sells it in order to get like something done. Like, I, I, like that's the point where I was about to reach. And then James Jones showed up. And I punctuate that with so much silence because it deserves it. James Jones has changed everything in Phoenix. He has hired a legitimate head coach who actually understands what it takes to win in the NBA. Even if he hasn't won at the highest levels as a head coach, he's been around a lot of good organizations. He has head coaching experience. And Monty Williams has proven that he was the man for this job and will continue to be the man for this job, hopefully until he retires from coaching. I fucking love Monty Williams. And James Jones is the man that brought him in. Make no mistake. 
Ryan McDonough could have never made a hire like this. Robert Sarver could have never made a hire like this on his own. James Jones repaired the reputation of the Suns around the league enough that serious coaches and serious players were willing to consider this team. Even though it was a trade, Chris Paul had to approve this trade. And sure, by the end, Chris Paul had to sell himself on coming to Phoenix because he was excited to be there and, you know, he had a big contract, blah, blah, blah. I understand that. But make no mistake, two years ago, Chris Paul isn't taking this trade just because his family is in Los Angeles. No, he's doing anything else he can to find another team that's close to get himself over the top. He's trying to orchestrate a trade to Denver or something. Or he's trying to orchestrate a trade to Utah to take Mike Conley's spot or something like that. This is this is this is a new organization, a new time. And I have sat here in front of this very microphone and told you that the Suns are not on the cusp of just making the conference finals, which they did, by the way. They're not just on the cusp of making the NBA finals, which they will, by the way. And they're not just on the cusp of winning the NBA finals, which they will, by the way. No, no, no. Those things are all part of step one. What we are trying to do here in Phoenix is build a dynasty. We are trying to create a legacy that will never be forgotten. You remember the Bulls three-peat teams. You remember the Shaq and Kobe three-peat teams. That's how these things go. The legacies, the great all-time legacies that we never shut up about start at multiple titles. And that is the task ahead of the Phoenix Suns right now. And I know that their job is to take it one game at a time and not get ahead of themselves and not think too far ahead. But that is not my job. My job is to sit here and tell you what's going to happen in the future. My job is to pontificate and analyze and bloviate and whatever the fuck else, whatever other large words I can come up with in today's vocabulary vocabulary laden episode see how i fucked that up the point is this sun's team is destined for greatness devin booker has arrived not just on the national stage but the international stage he's going to be playing for the olympics the olympic team now he's this is everything this is everything and all the Suns have to do is win seven more games to bring this shit home and set the stage for being an all-time great team. They're that fucking close. Seven more wins. How many times have the Suns been seven wins from a title? It's very few. And they've been closer than that, even fewer. And we know how those things went. But that's how it goes, man. And here we are again. There have been so many... Listen, I don't need to go through the litany of painful things that have happened to the Suns in the playoffs, okay? I don't need to go through the list. We know the list. We talk about the list. Everyone fucking posts the list on Twitter every single day. This is going to be special, and this is going to make up for all of that. When we picked DeAndre Ayton over Luka Doncic, the bet was that Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton would be Shaq and Kobe, and that as good as Luka Doncic is, that there's nothing you can fucking create in the NBA that's better than Shaq and Kobe. It was the best for three years in a row. And the Suns were basically betting that it could recreate a new version of it in this newer league with a slimmer, more athletic version of Shaq and a version of Kobe that could shoot from deep, but still had most of his work done in the mid-range. And guess what? That bet was correct because Luka Doncic is sitting on the fucking couch and just forced his coach to quit. And Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are pick and rolling, slamming their way to the NBA fucking finals. And yeah, they're going to get there. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. They're going to beat the Clippers. I, I predicted Suns and four. I'm not coming off that. If the Clippers couldn't steal yesterday's game, what game are they going to win? They made every goddamn ridiculous three they took yesterday. And if they can't win that game, what game are they going to win? Maybe it'll be a gentleman's sweep and they'll get a game at home in front of their cardboard cutout fans. 
Yeah, I don't think so. As far as the actual game itself, I think the most interesting thing to me is that Campaign played a really slow game. Instead of, I kind of expected that he was going to play his game. He was going to ratchet up the speed every time that he got a chance. And that since Chris Paul was out, we were going to run, run, run. But Cam basically ran the offense the way that Chris would run it. And when Etwan Moore was in, he tried to do the same thing. He didn't really do well. Shout out to my man Keith Strader, because I kept saying, let's pull Etwan and put Javon Carter in. Keith said, no, let's go to Point Booker. Well, guess what we did in the second half, and guess what worked pretty fucking well. Everyone saw when Devin Devin Booker took over in the second half and basically was the point guard for the entire second half. That clearly was the solution. 40 fucking points in a triple-double. Unbelievable. Just an unbelievable game. Like, I'm still, it's a day later, and I'm still sitting here marveling at what I saw. And the simple fact of the matter is that DeAndre Ayton, the Clippers don't have an answer for him on either side. He was slamming the ball like it was absolutely nothing. He hit some hook shots. He went over dudes on defense. Um, Evan Sidery posted that, you know, when he was defending, he was the primary defender against the Clippers yesterday. I think they shot like 34.7% against him. Like DeAndre Ayton has proven that he's an elite defender in, you know, these playoffs. And everyone's like, he's a top two, top three center in the league at this point. Like, dude, Embiid and Jokic are out, man. Like, I'm sorry, but I mean, if you want to, I mean, okay, fine. You want to put, you want to put Embiid in front of him? Fine. And I know that Jokic won the MVP, but like we just literally watched DeAndre Ayton basically neutralize Jokic. Jokic was supposedly the MVP, but he can't even carry his team to a win because DeAndre Ayton makes him work so hard. It's like, yeah, people are like, yeah, he scored 30 points. Yeah, I'm like 30 plus shots because DeAndre made his life a living hell, man. It's like super less impressive when you look at the volume of some of the shots that Nikola Jokic takes. And sometimes Nikola Jokic stat lines look more like a Russell Westbrook stat line than they should. And like, yeah, the rebounds and and assists are impressive and everything, but like DeAndre Ayton makes his life a living hell and the Suns ran right through the nuggets. And you can blah, 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 Jamal Murray me all you want. If Nikola Jokic is truly an unstoppable MVP and truly, truly in another universe from DeAndre Ayton, then they should have been able to win one game. Sorry, that's what I think. So... Give me DeAndre Ayton over Nikola Jokic, and I don't care what anyone thinks about how crazy that is. I would take Ayton over Embiid, by the way. Ayton is 22 years old. (laughs) Like, okay, I understand if you're saying, like, based on historically, he's a top whatever. But, like, going into next season, I want DeAndre Ayton over any center in the league. Any of them. And I can't believe anyone would be watching any of this and say anything else. I mean, like, this is this dude moves like Bam Adebayo, but he's big. Like fucking, you know, like Dwight Howard. Like it's 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 insane. It's he's awesome, and he's putting it all together. Like you're seeing the complete package of what a locked in defensive minded center can do. He's on the mic'd up sessions on the game. He's calling out, dif- you know, defensive plays, keeping everyone focused. This is just a different man from six months ago. The Chris Paul effect is real on this team, and game two is going to be awesome. I know that. I mean, I expect adjustments from both sides. I wouldn't put Boogie Cousins back in if I was the Clippers, but I would love it if they did because DeAndre Ayton actually, you know, made his life a living hell. We got a whole boatload of pissed off Boogie faces yesterday. It was just very classic. And overall, just an incredible game. And I really, truly cannot wait for game two. I really can't. Speaking of incredible games, we'll skip back a night to Bucks nets game seven and... I mean, Giannis finally broke through. He finally got through a series that, you know, everyone, you know, basically said that there was no chance. And I know that they still haven't gotten through to the finals and there's more work to do. But, um, you know, everyone basically counted them out against the Nets and said this series was over, especially after game two. And, you know, we can talk about injuries. You can talk about this, that or the other. The simple fact of the matter is, is that Kevin Durant was basically playing like the best player on the fucking planet. And missing literally nothing. And, you know, they still found a way to get through. And, by the way, I mean, some of these shots that KD hit in Game 7, like, what the fuck? The the turnaround fade 
to go to overtime, like, uh, it's one of the most incredible shots I've ever seen in NBA history. And it's even more storied by the fact that he was trying to shoot at three and, you know, just the tips of his toes were on the line. And if he was behind that line and hits that shot and his toes were just like a few millimeters back, they're up by one with one second left and they're probably going to the conference finals and not the Bucks. And a bunch of people pointed out, you know, KD wears a shoe size too big and, oh, what if he was wearing smaller shoes? Well, if he wasn't wearing smaller shoes, he wouldn't, if, you know, he wouldn't be KD. The reason he plays as well is because of how he plays. He plays in bigger shoes so that it doesn't cause him, they feel like lighter than air to him, blah, 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 whatever. The point is, you know, it wouldn't be the same. You can't create those equivalencies. The point is, if he had just stepped back half an inch more, the Bucks would be going to the conference finals right now. Excuse me, the Nets would be going to the conference finals instead of the Bucks. And, you know, I mean, I, I it was a hell of a game. And he did, he damn near did it again in overtime. Uh, you know, he, it, it was PJ Tucker, he hit the first one against in regulation. And then in overtime, he, you know, shot another turn fadeaway against, I believe, Drew Holiday. And he was, it, I, I don't know why he went to the fadeaway against Holiday. It looked like he had room to just shoot over him. I know Holiday has really long arms, but KD is so tall he can shoot over everyone. And his release point is so high that, you know, he can totally still, you know, get above where, you know, even Drew Holiday can get. Um, man, that was, uh, damn, <laughs> that was an incredible series. And, you know, shout to Chris Middleton because he hit so many huge shots in that series. And, you know, he gets so much heat on Twitter and all these people refer to him as, you know, Max KCP and all this other bullshit. And I've always liked Chris Middleton. I've been a fan of Chris Middleton. And in this series, you know, there were a couple of times where he had to go toe to toe with KD and hit a couple of jumpers right after KD did. And he, you know, did it. And, um, you know, shout to him because he really has become... I mean, it's the whole Batman and Robin thing, but dude, at the end of the game, when they need a mid-ranger, they go to Chris Middleton. So yeah, Giannis is Batman, but I mean, Chris Middleton's the sniper. And Drew Holiday did not play well, really, in this series. He did not shoot well at all in this series. He didn't shoot well in this game either, but he hit a couple of huge shots down the stretch. And it just goes to show that it's like, no matter how... I mean, yeah, you might not be playing well, you might not be playing well, things aren't going your way, but man, shooters gotta shoot. And... You make the last three, it doesn't really matter what the previous 10 were. You know, if you hit the game winner or, you know, a shot to put your team ahead or whatever it is, all the other ones simply don't matter. And Drew kept shooting and he did just enough. How about Brooke Lopez? Shout to Brooke Lopez for nearly fucking throwing the game away. He he gets the ball in the corner. What was it? The, the, the Bucks were up two. There was eight seconds left in overtime. There was two seconds left on the shot clock. He gets the ball with two seconds left, and instead of shooting, he tries to pass to Chris Middleton, thus giving KD the chance for the turnaround three for the win, which he missed, and he actually airballed it, crazy enough. But, you know, I mean, James Harden gutted it out. This was a really good game. You know, I mean, Blake Griffin played much better defense than anyone, uh, you know, gave him credit for. Um, you know, he gave a lot more to the Nets than I think anyone was really anticipating, um, or at least anyone who had really been watching. Um, and, you know, he threw down a few dunks here and there. He um, he tried to throw down one vicious old school Blake Griffin dunk. Didn't quite work, but he hit a couple of threes. And overall, the Blake Griffin, you know, signing was a good one. And he provided a positive impact for them. And I mean, they came close. And the thing is, if if they get over this hump or if KD makes that last shot or if KD is you know, on the, not on the line, they're going into a series against the Hawks. And I think you have to like their chances, although that series could just be an, you know, up and down, you know, track meet. Um, but you know, this whole idea of like, Oh, you know, they didn't have the depth and they didn't have enough and, and uh, the injuries and blah, blah. I mean, they were right there, you know, they were literally right on the edge of making it. So, you know, I don't think that there was anything necessarily flawed. I think the bucks just played a hell of a game and I think they played a hell of a series and, you know, they got through. And yeah, okay, maybe if Kyrie is out there and maybe if James Harden is 100%, you know, maybe things are different. But, you know, you can't really, you know, eh, who knows? I mean, maybe so. But they weren't there. 
And, you know, you, you can only play who's in front of you. And, you know, for all of Kyrie's incredible shooting, he is a horrible defender. And, you know, who knows if, you know, Drew Holiday might have been able to, you know, play better against him in a game like this when, you know, he wasn't shooting well. Perhaps with Kyrie out there, he might have shot better. Who knows? I don't know. The point is that it was an incredible game back and forth. I mean, it was like every possession is like, you know, it's like three and four actions to get a shot. It was a true game seven. No one's like really coming down and just getting easy looks. Like you have to run your first pick and roll and then you got to set a screen and then your shooter comes around the screen. And then, you know, it's just like there's three and four actions in every possession because the defensive switching and rotations are so tight. And it was just a classic game seven. And it's funny because this series was one that everyone was anticipating would be like, you know, maybe the best series in the playoffs. Like, everyone was like, Bucks and Nets. Yeah, fuck yeah, this is going to be great. And, you know, it didn't turn out to be so good to start. Um, and then it closed as one of the great, you know, I don't know if it was one of the great series of all time, but the last few games were awesome. And it's just definitely very interesting how a series can start really poorly and have, you know, a, an incredible ending. And, you know, we've seen the, you know, the opposite plenty of times where a series starts with an incredible game and then has, you know, a very anticlimactic ending. So it's certainly not unheard of. And, you know, just overall, I mean, just shout to everyone in this series. This is, it was just such a hard fought series. And you could see Mike Budenholzer like screaming at the refs, coaching for his life, knowing he's fired if they don't get through. And, you know, it's just, it's such a, precarious situation in Milwaukee it's you know with the Nets you know that it's pretty much going to come back next year the same thing they're going to have KD Kyrie and James Harden you know the role players will probably be different they'll make some moves here and there Joe Harris was terrible who looks to see you know who knows what they'll do there I, I would assume they'll keep Joe Harris but he was awful in this game um you know Milwaukee is a little bit more you know uh is Budenholzer going to be fired are they going to try to make moves that things don't work? You know, there's more up in the air about what would go on had they lost this series. I don't think the Nets make a major shakeup. I think the Nets try to run back as much as they can and just, you know, uh, make whatever improvements on the margins that they can. Milwaukee, if things went wrong here, it could have been a summer of insanity, much like we're about to see with Philadelphia. So it's, you know... Um, this is probably the best outcome for everyone involved in terms of keeping jobs. I don't know. <laughs> but um, it was an incredible game for Giannis. He scored 40. Shot a lot better on his free throws than usual. Um, he's still taking forever to shoot them. I, I can't be the only person that thinks that part of the reason Giannis is so terrible at free throws right now is because he's over-fucking-thinking it. Like, it's just not that hard. And when you sit there and think about it for 14, 15 seconds, you're just reaching a point where you're trying to make your shot so mechanical that it's not going to be fluid. I'm not some like shot expert or something, but like you can't, anyone who's played basketball knows if you sit there and you're like, okay, I'm going to raise my arms to a 60 degree angle. And then I'm going to, you know, you just, you have to feel it. And I really think if Giannis would stop thinking about it so much, he would shoot a better percentage. And I also think I've said this a million times, these guys, if they would shoot underhanded, the ones who cannot make free throws, if you would shoot underhanded, you'd shoot a much higher percentage. The ball, the arc of the ball is significantly more conducive to falling in from bouncing on the rim. It's a softer shot. It just, it's just been proven. I don't need to keep making this argument. Anyway, but guys won't do it because it doesn't look cool. So there, it's never going to happen. I should stop saying it. Um, but nonetheless, the Bucks move on to face the Hawks. And that's going to be a really interesting series because you're basically looking at, I mean, I don't think that these teams could be built any differently and try to do anything differently. Like the Bucks are built around a wrecking ball in Giannis, whose goal is to crash the rim and either draw a foul by dunking or suck in the entire defense and kick out to open shooters. And Atlanta's thing is Trey Young is going to either shoot a floater over you or throw a lob over you, or he's just going to hit a step back three and there's nothing you can do because you can't stop Trey Young. And then, oh, by the way, we have all these other incredible shooters. I mean, they're just built very differently in how they play. So this is going to be a really fun series. Like this should be a, another chess match series where, you know, what do Nate McMillan and Mike Buttonholzer have in store for each other? Before we go too far into that, though, 
What a collapse by the Philadelphia 76ers. What an embarrassing, embarrassing, embarrassing joke of a collapse. Like, this is ridiculous, man. This is sad at this point. It's funny for those of us who hate Philadelphia sports, but it's sad. Like, I don't even, I, I, yeah, I mean, look, you cannot try to sell this to me as like, oh, it's the first year with Doc Rivers, blah, 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 blah. Doc Rivers was brought in to put this team over the hump. Tobias Harris was brought in to be the offensive piece to, you know, make it easier on Simmons. They probably should have chosen Jimmy Butler, given him the five-year, whatever. We don't need to relitigate all that. The point is that Doc Rivers was brought here to put this team over the top, and he couldn't coach them against the Hawks, man. Like, Ben Simmons needs to go now. But the problem is, here's the fun part about Ben Simmons needing to go now, is you just tanked his trade value by, you know, letting him ruin it, by not being able to coach him into shooting a basketball at the beginning of this season, the discussions for Ben Simmons were centered around James Harden, and then they pushed to Brad Beal. So you were looking at trades with the upper echelon of players in the league. Now when you see trade rumors regarding Ben Simmons, they're about C.J. McCollum. And this is no disrespect to C.J., he's a nice player. But I think we can all see the difference in James Harden, Brad Beal, C.J. McCollum, right? We know the differences there. And so, like, Ben Simmons' trade value has tanked. And, by the way, like, some of these theoretical trades, I don't even know. It's like, okay, you know, like, what, like would the Pelicans do Brandon Ingram? Probably not, because Zion and Simmons, you know, don't fit together. Uh, but just, like, in a world where you were just looking at trade value in a vacuum, does Simmons have the same value of Ingram? I don't think so. You know, there was a world where people said that Ben Simmons was more valuable than Devin Booker. <laughs> the Suns would laugh the 76ers off the phone if they tried to make that trade. You know, like, could you trade him to the Kings for De'Aaron Fox? Maybe. Is that possible? Um, you know, they're both on like max deals. I think you can make the numbers work, you know. Um, I've seen people float, you know, Andrew Wiggins. And by the way, I've seen like a ton of people float McCollum, a ton of people float Wiggins. So I'm not trying to take anyone's ideas. I'm just, I'm seeing these all over the place. Um, I, you know, Wiggins is maybe an appropriate equitable trade. Like, I don't want Simmons on my team at this point. Like, I don't, because the thing is, is that you can sit here and talk about, you know, his defense on Trey Young or what he does in the regular season, blah, blah, blah. In the biggest moments, he failed his team. And again, we've all seen the statistics at this point. He's taken no shots in the fourth quarter. You know, he's not even scoring points. He's just a ghost. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that the fourth quarter of game seven is literally what this entire game is about. That's the whole fucking point is that when you get to that moment, your guy steps up and Ben Simmons shrinks from the moment. So I, I suppose if you were looking for someone to just run a fast break offense and bump up your wins or, you know, sell a name to the crowd. Like, I don't know, like, okay, he's still too much for Colin Sexton, but what about like Colin Sexton and Kevin Love? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, literally like, these are the deals, man. Like these, it's, they're bad. They are bad. The deals are bad because Ben Simmons was bad. And, you know, any sort of like, well, what about Damian Lillard? Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, you'd have to include so much on top of Ben Simmons to get into the Damian Lillard discussion. Like, I'm talking about, like, Ben Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, whatever picks you have, uh, you know. And that's if the Blazers even reach the point where Dame asks for a trade, which they haven't. But CJ McCollum has got to be gone. The Blazers and Sixers are both two teams that are going to be in incredible flux you know, one way or another. Obviously, the Blazers are in the middle of a coaching search. Uh, it's been announced that Chauncey Billups and Becky Hammond are the finalists for those jobs. So um, if Chauncey Billups takes that job, I think that means Dame is staying. So, you know, I do think that's, I do think that that's interesting. Um, if Becky Hammond takes that job, um, you know, I think she's proven to be one hell of a coach. So 
what what worries me about Becky Hammond taking that job is that like Neil O'Shea would scapegoat her at one point and be like, oh, we've hired the first woman coach and it didn't work. But your roster is fucking flawed. Like that's the that's the one thing to me like that worries me. I I, I want a better job for Becky Hammond than this like unstable Blazers situation that could be blown up at any moment. Now if if the Blazers like have a huge trade plan and they gave her a five year deal and you know Dame is committed, then that's a whole different story. But like you know, like Stephen Silas, I I wanted Stephen Silas to get the Rockets job. And I wanted him to get a job forever. But then that job immediately blew up in his face. And so I don't want Becky Hammond to go through that kind of thing. And I think the Blazers are at that point. So, you know, but I, if you're offered a head coaching job in the NBA, you take it. So it just, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I just don't, the Simmons and Bede thing doesn't work. Like Embiid played through a torn meniscus, you know, Tobias Harris was bad. It just doesn't work. Like the, I don't know what the shakeup is. I don't even know what you can trade Tobias Harris for. You know he is on a max contract as well. Like again, this is the problem with the max contract is your mid tier guys get inflated contracts, so they love it. But now you're stuck like with an untradeable deal. Like that's sort of how these things go. Um, but you basically have to move on from Ben Simmons. You can't just do this again. You can't keep telling us that. Well, it's going to be different this time. And you make no changes. I mean, they made upgrades around the edge to the team last year. I like the moves that they made. I thought it would help them get over the hump. Like, I I thought the 76ers would make the finals. I said that many times. I said I thought they could beat the Nets. But just every single time I expect Ben Simmons to do something or to go to another level or to show me that my initial belief that he was not good was wrong, he can never do it. And, like, how many times are you going to continue to allow this to occur? Like, and I, maybe Doc Rivers loves Ben Simmons so much that that makes it difficult. You know, all of Philadelphia loves Embiid. You can't trade Embiid. But it's obvious that Simmons and Embiid aren't even on the same page because look at Embiid's postgame comments. Like, you know, you know, he they said, should you run it back? He said, that's tricky. They asked Doc Rivers, is Ben Simmons a championship point guard? He said, I don't know. Like, I, you know, these maybe maybe Doc doesn't love Ben as much as it seems. He just feels the need to pump him up. I don't know. I'm not behind the scenes with the 76ers, so I can't say. But what I can say is that you must blow something up. You don't have to destroy the entire team, but you need to retool big time. You got to do something here because, you know, Joel Embiid, I mean, he... Played through a fucking torn meniscus, man. Like, he gave everything he had. And you still come up short to a team that's, like, so young and up and coming and going to be very good for years. This is not going to be the last time that the Hawks might be a pain in the ass for the 76ers. And you needed to take advantage of this opportunity and just no ability to do it. And here we are. And I think that the only thing that you can do is trade Ben Simmons. And I know that everyone is on the same page as me, but it still needs to be said because it's just there's nothing else you can do. Like, they should also fire Doc Rivers, to be completely honest with you. It shouldn't matter what Doc thinks. He should be fired. But I don't think that they'll, you know, I don't think that they'll make that move. But Doc is past his his, his prime in the NBA. I used to love Doc and think he was one of the best coaches in the league. And he's a very good coach. But, I mean, Nate McMillan just kicked his ass. And... You know, this is after years of failures with the Clippers, is beaten by Quinn Snyder and all these things. Like, I'm just not sure where Doc's head is at anymore. And the real move for the Sixers is fire Doc Rivers, trade Ben Simmons, and bring in someone who, you know, you got to trade for someone who fits perfectly with Embiid and hire a coach who understands exactly how to maximize Embiid in the fourth quarter and not wear him out through the whole game so that by the fourth quarter he's exhausted and can't do a thing because that has killed the Sixers every damn year and it continues to do it. I know everyone's tired in the fourth quarter. Find a way to lighten Embiid's load, man. You have to do it. The thing is that we need to remember that this is Daryl Morey. So literally fucking everything is on the table here. I have been a pro Tobias Harris guy and it is true that Tobias Harris plays best under Doc. So if you're going to keep Doc... You're probably going to want to keep Tobias Harris, even though he was bad last night. 
Um, although I did, I had a bet on Tobias Harris uh, over 40.5 points, rebounds, and assists, and he hit that, even though he missed a ton of shots. But he still he connected for me. So go Tobias, thanks for the money. Um, and I've been pro Tobias Harris, but if you're going to fire Doc, then trading Tobias Harris is on the table at that point as well. And I mean, trading Ben Simmons or trading Tobias Harris, those things don't necessarily have to have anything to do with each other. Like, you can do one or do both or do the other. Like, it doesn't, you know, it's it's not a thing where you have to choose one or the other. Like, you could trade, you know, again, you could do the Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum thing and then still explore Tobias Harris trades. Again, I don't know how good of a deal you can get, but like... You know, do you love Andrew Wiggins and his new, you know, Golden State form better than Tobias Harris? Like, do you like more of a three and D wing than a guy who's like a, you know, pick and roll drive to the basket wing? If you prefer that, then, you know, you could swap for, you know, McCollum and Wiggins and put those guys around and bead with Seth Curry. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's not a good idea. Right now, you have a super big lineup that can't shoot very well. You could go with a smaller lineup that could shoot very well. I don't know. There's a lot of different possibilities. You could say that Tobias Harris is going to fit well with CJ McCollum, and you know we're going to keep Tobias. I'm inclined to believe, honestly, that flop flip-flopping Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum and keeping Tobias Harris, I actually think that would work. I know that the Seth Curry-CJ McCollum backcourt is problematic, um, just in terms of... You know, if you if you run that back in terms of size defensively, I can see where that's a problem. Um, but I mean, man, CJ McCollum was really good this year. And, you know, I don't think that Seth Curry being around should stop you from acquiring, um, you know, CJ McCollum. And if anything else, you know, you move on from Seth Curry and try to find a bigger, more defensive minded two guard. And then, you know, again, you know, McCollum's the main shooter. And then that lets him beat operate more. Uh, down low. Obviously, we haven't seen McCollum take over like as a full time point guard necessarily anywhere, but um, you know, I think he probably has the chops. He's a good ball handler, and especially given that Philadelphia's system is not one that's like a shit ton of pick and roll where he needs to be dishing like 10 assists a game. It's not, you know, I think he fits in. So I actually think the Simmons McCollum stuff works. Um, and I think it's, I mean, it's really out there in the ether, and it's, you know, I think if you're Dame Lillard, uh, maybe you're not thrilled with what Ben Simmons just did on offense, but, I mean, we're used to seeing Ben Simmons take every, or we're used to seeing Dame Lillard take every shot at the end of a playoff game anyway, so why not just give him a super defensive-minded two-guard who will let him do all the shooting, and Ben Simmons plays all the defense? Like, the Blazers need defense. The Sixers need offense. Simmons and McCollum just works, and it's one of those things that's been out there for a while. It's kind of in the ether. It's certainly not something I've come up with. And I do think that if they did do that, I think it works. And again, I don't think that precludes you from trading Tobias Harris. You know, if again, I think it depends. Like if you if you're keeping Doc, I say you keep Tobias because Tobias is just a much more valuable player with Doc Rivers around. He just plays better. It's just it's always been that way. Wasn't so great in this playoff game. But imagine if you had CJ McCollum helping create space. You wouldn't have so many guys in the paint who are able to flood and beat and Tobias Harris when they go to the rim. I think it works. So I think I'm in favor of the the Simmons McCollum thing, to be completely honest with you. Um, but who knows? You know, who knows? It's Daryl Morey. Anything is on the table, uh, with the exception, I think, of trading uh, Joel Embiid. I don't think that's on the table. Um, but we'll see how it goes from here. Um, I know that their target would probably still be Brad Beal, but I don't know that. I mean, I don't know if Simmons, Maxi, and whatever picks or whatever you can put together. I don't know if that, I don't know if that does it for Brad Beal. You know, there would probably be better offers out there, but it does seem like Beal could be on the move. This is going to be a fun summer. There's going to be a lot of transactions, and with you know some, there's like five top picks. We could see some of those top picks move. Teams might trade a top pick for a player, kind of like the Celtics did in 07 um, when they were able to get Ray Allen. You know, that used to happen. It doesn't happen nearly as much anymore, but this could be a year with so many good players, but some uncertainty through, you know, like the four and five spots. Like, you never know. Um, Hawks and Bucks. Mentioned that just a little bit ago. Um, I think that's going to be really interesting. Again, it's, you know, it's the whole, you know, the wrecking ball versus the chess master sort of thing. Um, 
I, I'm inclined to believe the Bucks are going to win just because this is still the first playoff run for the Hawks. And, um, uh, you know, I'm just inclined to believe that the Hawks really don't have anyone who can defend Giannis in the way that, um, the Nets did. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, what do you, I, I mean, I guess you could try Capella on him. You could try John Collins. I mean, if they had DeAndre Hunter, maybe it would be a little more. But as it stands, Giannis is just going to be an absolute problem for the Hawks. And and Trey Young will be a problem for the Bucks. There's no question about that. But Drew Holiday's length, he should be able to bug the hell out of Trey Young a lot like Ben Simmons did and make him, you know, have to go to the rim all the time. And the simple fact of the matter is that, you know, Brooke Lopez is a lot better rim protector um, than really anyone on the Nets. And I think he's going to be able to do a better job of at least bothering some of those Trey Young lobs. I don't know that anyone can stop Trey Young's floater. I don't know that there's anything that you can do about that once he gets in the lane. But um, I think that he can bother some of the lobs and just be in the way. And I think that as good of, of shooters as the Hawks are, I think that the, the Bucks just have the length to to wall them off a little bit. And, you know, we know the Bucks can shoot too. The Bucks can shoot with the best of them. And Giannis is going to be able to draw so many fouls and draw so much defense in that they're going to get a ton of open looks on kickouts. And I just think it's, I think this is a bad matchup for the Hawks right now. I, if DeAndre Hunter was healthy, I think it's a little bit different. Um, I just don't know how the Hawks, Giannis is just the worst matchup for them. He's just, they just don't have a guy. I, I mean, is Gallinari going to do it? Is Collins going to do it? Is Capella going to do it? Is Herder like who are you going to put on Giannis? Like that's the point. Like, and you know, maybe they'll be able to do the Miami thing and form a wall. And I'm sure that they'll watch that film. And you know, there's a lot of things that you can try to do. I think this Bucks team is just ready to break through to the finals. Um, but shout to the Hawks, man. I mean, listen, I. I were I was up and down on them coming into this season. I was, you know, all over them for firing Lloyd Pierce and not giving him a chance to coach the healthy team. But, you know, those things are all in the past and what they have done, Trey Young has proven that he is a fucking franchise player, a number one option. Um this shit is cool. You know, this 2018 draft, you look at everyone always talks about Luka and, you know, but look at what DeAndre Ayton is doing. Look at what Trey Young is doing like we are seeing some incredible fucking basketball right now. And I mean, this is just an exciting time. And if it was a Hawks Suns finals, God damn, that would be fun. That would be really, really fucking fun. <laughs> I would enjoy the shit out of that. Um, but I do think the bucks are going to break through. And of course I think the Suns are going to beat the Clippers, but um, I do think Hawks bucks is going to be a series. I think the Hawks will get a few games. Um, but I just think, this is the time, this is a series where Giannis is really going to be able to flex and exert himself and show why he's a two-time MVP. I think this is this is a great matchup. So, um, you know, that's, that's where I'm at on that one. Before I go, I just want to say, I've seen some people in particular, I won't say who, complaining about all the major stars being knocked out right now. And, you know, there's no LeBron... Embiid is out, you know, Jokic is gone, like, the MVP's out, you know, oh, we're losing all the big star players, like, I really hope that NBA fans can start to appreciate the actual product of basketball that's in front of them. Look at what's going on with Devin Booker. Look at what's going on with Trey Young. We are seeing a new generation of superstars rise in front of us, and people are talking down on it and saying it's bad. Remember in the strike-shortened season, I think it was 2012, when... The finals were the super young Thunder and LeBron in the Miami Heat. And Tim Duncan wasn't there. And, you know, there was no Kobe Bryant there and blah, you know, there were no, you know, famous faces of the league there. But it was the young up and coming superstars, especially on the Thunder side. LeBron was well established at that point, but he hadn't won a finals until then. But the Thunder were literally kids. And they made it through partially because of their young legs, especially in the Western Conference Finals against the Spurs. And that was Kevin Durant's ascension to the stage. Are you, like, mad about that? Were you mad about that then? Why would you be mad about it now? Trey Young and Devin Booker are rising to heights that are unseen. Paul George is playing his way out of a career of being mocked with just unbelievable performances. These are some of the best playoffs in forever. 
So many years we had to watch blowout after blowout after blowout. And right now we are getting nothing but just absolute godsend phenomenal games. And you have the fucking audacity to complain or say that it's bad for the league. Just say you don't like basketball. If you're concerned about what casuals think or you're concerned about ratings or you're concerned about what the billionaire owners are going to do in terms of revenue this year, just say you don't like basketball because you're not concerned with basketball at that point. You're not concerned with the beauty of the game. You're not concerned with actually watching the greatest sport on the planet. No, no, no. You're literally concerned with business. Corporatism has ruined so much of sports, and now corporatist fans are trying to ruin sports by saying that all we should ever see is, you know, the superstar teams on... It's just this whole thing. Every other team is a farm system for the Lakers and Knicks, and every finals should be between the Lakers and Knicks. And I don't understand why so many people are obsessed with the idea of the Knicks being great since they never are, but it really is just how these things go. You know, NBA media and NBA corporate people and casual fans literally view this entire league as a feeder system for the West and East Coast teams. And when those teams aren't in the finals, they view it as a tragedy and talk about how we need to blah, blah, etc. whatever. Like, how are you not fucking enjoying the rise of young talent? It's pathetic. And anyone with that opinion is a bitch. And that's how I want to end the show. Go Suns. Let's get this thing done in four so I can talk shit about Paul George, even though he's been fucking incredible. I just want to be able to do some old school hating. And man, I am very interested in this Bucks Hawks series. We got no basketball today. So it's kind of a weird situation. Not sure what to do with it. There's probably some WNBA. So let's go watch the WNBA. Because the WNBA is beautiful. Basketball is the beautiful game. Fuck casual fans. And that is The Blunt Doctor Show.